Abiding Hope Church's podcast of our weekly sermons. For more information about our church, please visit abidinghope.org. The reading today is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to the disciples, how hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed as these words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or feels for my sake and for the sake of the good news, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, and children, and feels with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. morning. Um, I hope you brought your camels and your needles to worship with you this morning. We're going to do a demonstration, um, which is just a bad joke because Jesus says something utterly ridiculous in our text this morning. He says that a rich person entering the kingdom of heaven is like taking a camel and putting it through the eye of a needle. And I have to imagine that's like his version of a dad joke, right? He'd already explained that that wasn't possible. And then he feels the need to go on and elaborate. Um, and what confirms this suspicion for me is that Pastor Jay told me it was like taking a basketball through a pushpin, which, <clears throat> I mean, he makes a lot of dad jokes. So I um, want to hopefully ease some of our tensions today as we deal with a kind of difficult text. I'm not sure if you've had the same experience with this text that I have, but I have often heard this text used rather judgmentally. It's almost been painted in my life as 
as this experience a man had where Jesus a little bit assaulted him or accosted him for having money at all, right? I, I'm not sure how this text has been taught to you, but it has been taught to me as having any amount of money in your bank account makes you bad or anti-Christian or anti-Jesus. And I just want us to all let that go this morning because when we really dig into this text, when we explore it further, we find a very different Jesus. We find a Jesus who's not really worried about that man's money so much as that he's worried about his soul, that Jesus is worried about how this this man is doing. And the first indicator of that is that in this text, it is the man who approaches Jesus. I feel like I've lost that a little bit when people have taught me this text, but this man comes to Jesus and he asks him what he has to do to have life into the ages. Sometimes that will be translated as eternal life, and that's just not a correct translation. Um, But he asks Jesus, what do I need to do to have life into the ages? Which is to say, what do I need to do to have fullness? Which implies that something in this man's life is not full, right? You don't go ask, what do I need to do to make my life better if your life is already exactly how you want it? So this man goes to Jesus. He says, what do I need to do to have that life you're talking about? That life that is full and whole. What do I need to do in order to change my experience on earth? Jesus isn't accosting this man. He is answering a soul pain. Something is uneasy for him. And so when he goes to this this teacher, he gets a rather Jewish answer at first, right? Jesus says, follow the commandments. Moses gave them to you. You know what they are. Presumably this man is Jewish. He says, follow the commandments. And this man says, I did that. That didn't work. Which is kind of odd because if you really read through the commandments, they're pretty impossible to follow, right? If you dig into the heart of them, do not murder really means do not have hate for anyone. Honor thy father and mother is not about like not hurting your parents. It's calling you into a little bit more than do not, no harm. It's calling you to care for everyone who is older than you, for everyone who is wiser than you, for everyone who is taking care of you on earth. And so Jesus could have, if he was being critical of this man, he could have dug into that. He could have said, are you sure? You never said, I hate you to a sibling when they stole something from you. Are you sure that you followed these commandments? But again, this isn't about Jesus attacking this man. This isn't about Jesus hating wealth, although we do know that Jesus cares that wealth is distributed in our world so that everyone has enough. But but this is about Jesus caring for this man. And so when he says, I've already followed the law, I've already done the to-do list, Jesus stops and he looks at him. And the, the Greek word here, blepo, for, for Jesus seeing this man is more than just vision with our eyes. It's not about if Jesus had his bifocals on or not, but it's, it's about seeing someone's soul. Jesus stares into this man's soul. And then he loves him. Before he tells him to do a single other thing, he loves him. He accepts him. He is with this man who's in distress. And after that has happened, he tells him to get rid of his possessions because Jesus sees something in that man. He sees that his his greed is preventing him from freedom. 
that that man's many possessions, the text said, have a hold on him and he is holding on to them. That he is bound tightly into the world. And he is unable to do anything else because of that wealth. It is his greed that is preventing him from living into the freedom of the reign of God. So that thing he's asking Jesus for, how do I have this full life? He's preventing himself from, or those things are preventing him from having, because he's holding on too tightly to his wealth. It is because Jesus has seen the hurt in his soul that he's looking in the wrong places for fullness, that Jesus tells him to give everything to the poor. And he does care. Jesus does care that the poor have everything they need. That is well documented in scripture, that God is with those who are on the outskirts. But that's not what this text starts as. This text is about soul pain. So Jesus sees him and he tells him how he will be free. When Jesus is further explaining this text to the disciples, he tells, um, he tells them that you are saved through God, that it is impossible to save yourself, but you are saved through God. And the word save here, sozo in the Greek, is more about becoming whole than about eternal life. As we remember, this text is more about the reign of God on earth than about eternal life. We've a little bit co-opted that in our Christianity. So when Jesus says that you cannot be whole with wealth, he then says that that is impossible for humans. It's impossible for humans to make themselves whole with their wealth, but it's not impossible for God. Because God is calling us into wholeness. God is inviting us into wholeness. And so when Jesus tells us to let go of our wealth, to let go of our greed, he's inviting us into something deeper. He's inviting you into freedom from that soul pain. And I think this man, I can think of a lot of good reasons for him to want to hold on to his possessions. Reasons that are not bad or evil, right? I, I don't want him to get a bad rep. It is quite possible he has some extra grain or gold or jewels stuck, socked away for a rainy day. We don't know what his profession is, right? Maybe it's something like farming where it's very inconsistent. So maybe he's saving money so that if there's a bad year, he can still feed his family. Or maybe he has really nice things because he's in a profession where that's expected. And so it would be considered rude of him to not be a grand and luscious, luxurious, excuse me, host when people come to his house. So he has nice things, but so that he can continue his role in society, right? It's not, we don't know what his wealth is, but it's not necessarily evil. He's not painted as a tax collector or someone who is stealing. He is just someone with possessions and soul pain. I know that I can relate to that. I wonder if you can too. Church historian Kate Bowler uh, talks a lot about wealth inequality in her work, she has studied the prosperity gospel. So preachers who say that if you believe in God, wealth will rain down on you. And so she, she talks about income inequality and she says that anytime someone has more and someone has less over human, across human history, so for thousands of years, anytime someone has more and someone has less, people on both sides make up stories as to why some have risen and some have fallen. People on both sides make up stories as to why that inequality exists. And the thing about the people who have 
risen is they like to believe that God was on their side, right? People who have risen economically like to make up stories about how it is because God has blessed them or maybe because they worked hard and God loves a hard worker. There's something called the Protestant work ethic. And we like to believe that hard work is something that God has instilled in us. But what Dr. Bowler has noticed is that those who have fallen, those who have less, often explain their stories as experiencing God's presence. It's not that God isn't with those who have more, but that throughout scripture, we see that God sits with people who have less. And so those who have less, there's something about that freedom. There's something about the simplicity of their lives. There is something about needing to trust God that gives them the freedom to experience the reign of God in their lives. That people want God to have this grand plan and to make sense in our human understanding of the world. And that's just not how God works. And so when you are forced to trust God is when you get to experience the freedom of Christ. And that, that reminds me of uh, these guys I know who live in Chicago. I had the privilege of living on the south side of Chicago for a couple summers during college. And, and when I got there, you know, bright, bright-eyed 20-something, really excited to take on the world, to experience this new place. I was from the suburbs. I was really excited to be in a city. I met these guys who lived across the street from the church where I was staying and working. And, and these guys were, were middle-aged. And from what I could tell, they spent from 2 p.m. to 2 a.m. every single day hanging out in this garage sharing food, sharing stories, cracking jokes. They had these motorcycles that they would ride around the block and come back and work on a little bit. And, and when I met them, I, I didn't understand how they could spend so much of their lives sitting in the same city block, right? I was so excited to be somewhere new, to experience something new, to work with these organizations who were fighting injustices in the world. And I couldn't understand why these men would just sit there all day, every day. I, I kept being like, don't you have goals? What are, what are you doing? And throughout the summer, I got to know them better. We, we built friendship over the fact that I, every single time I had to parallel park, I would run over the curb and they would make fun of me for it. We built friendships over, over cookouts where I accidentally started a grease fire on a grill and they helped me put it out and then took over grilling so that everyone would have food to eat that night. And Finally, at the end of my first summer, I felt I knew them well enough that I could ask. I said, why, why do you spend so much of your time? Do you even have a job? What are, what are you doing? And they said, we're here to protect our neighborhood. One of, one of these men told a story of working downtown and he would, he would commute into the city. I mean, he was in the city, but he would commute north to downtown and he would work all day and he would commute back. And by the time he got back, all of the young people in, in their neighborhood would have had hours with nothing to do, with no one looking over them because their parents were also commuting. And so, so he said that his goal was to have enough money that he could work part-time and take care of his neighborhood full-time, that he, he sits out there on that block so that young people who have nowhere to go know that someone's looking out for them. He sits there on that block so that when people who are hungry come by, he can direct them to the right services. He sits on that block until 2 a.m. because he knows that violence is statistically less 
when there's a witness present. So he sits to protect his neighborhood. He has been freed from maybe the greed or the dreams of this bigger life to sit in the simplicity of loving those people. He says it's the best decision he ever made. What, what do you need to be freed from? What, what greed that maybe is disguised as something else, right? What ambition, what, what need do you have in your life that you're working so hard to fulfill that you aren't experiencing the love of Christ found in community and in worship and in service and generosity? What simple change could you make that would free you to experience God?